22 to 16. And so you'll see that on screen behind me as well. And if you want to follow along with me in your Bibles, uh, that'll be profitable to you. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible Version, CSB, 1 Corinthians 11. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. A man should not cover his head, because he is the image and glory of God. So too, woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, this morning uh, we approach a passage that might be uh, one of the more difficult ones when it comes to 1 Corinthians. Uh, as we go through it together, God, would you reveal the things that will uh, profit our faith, that will build us in our faith in you, God? We pray, Lord, that we would not weaponize any of these verses, any of these passages, in order to hurt one another, in order to place ourselves above one another, in order to bring shame upon one another, but that we would do only what is good for edifying and building up of one another in the body. Help us to be considerate, help us to be loving towards one another. Help us, Lord, to recognize that you do have a message for us and that message uh, will build us up. Would you help us, Lord, uh, to focus upon what it is that you're saying? Would you help us, Lord, not to be tripped up by any unanswered questions that we might have, but to really cling to the one answered question that we have in you, uh, your son, Jesus. So we pray that you would guide us today, God, that you would speak to us in a powerful way, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate everything to us and would help us, Lord, to seek you, to cling to you, and to make all of life about you. Help us to love you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, if you were here, uh, we ended summing up about how the goal of what we do, uh, what was being spoken about in this section of 1 Corinthians was to do everything to God's glory. We saw the way that sexual immorality in chapters five to six and idolatry in chapters eight to 10 oppose us glorifying God. And so it's very much against us glorifying God. And in order to reflect true wisdom by the way that we live, which we saw in chapters one to four, as we await the resurrected Jesus' return in chapter 15, what we're supposed to do is to seek Christian sexual purity. And we see that in chapter seven and we're to worship God in an honorable way. 
And that's where we're at right now, worshiping God in an honorable way, chapters 11 to 14. As we do these things, we reflect God by becoming a more complete human being. We image him and we reflect his glory. This is what it's about. Rather than remaining in the dust that we were made in, broken and flawed images, we're restored and renewed by God. This is God's renewed humanity, genuine humanness resulting from true worship. This is the first of six sermons that give instructions when it comes to worship. Okay, so get ready. When it comes to becoming a more complete human being through true worship, and this is where we're getting started in today. Today's passage, okay, we just read through this, talks about gender distinctions in worship. And immediately, even as we talk about genuine humanity, reflecting God's glory, being renewed by true worship, some thoughts might come to your mind about this topic when we talk about gender distinctions in worship. So confront those thoughts. What are these thoughts? What are some of these thoughts that come to your mind when we talk gender distinctions? Identify them for yourselves, because where your mind immediately jumps to is probably indicative of the type of attitude that you're going to approach today's passage in. It might even indicate where you're going to end up after we get through this passage, you know, if you're not able to submit your heart before the passage itself. Now, I should probably say in advance that today you might find yourself a little bit unsatisfied if you're looking for a really definite conclusion to this topic. Okay, I'll say that as a disclaimer up front. I don't know that there's ever a really definitive time of certainty uh, for most people when it comes to faith. I think that we all go through periods of doubt. Oftentimes, our continued wrestle with our faith, that makes up our relationship with God. This actually helps us to strengthen our relationship with God when we wrestle with Him about the questions that we have, about the faith that we struggle with. But there's the disclaimer nevertheless, okay? So keep this in mind. We're reading here in 1 Corinthians one half of the dialogue when it comes to the church in Corinth. So the church in Corinth has communicated something to the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul's response. 2,000 years in the past, and although the church in Corinth faced similar issues to ones that we face in the modern church and speaks about very timeless things like theology and doctrine and all of this kind of stuff, there are certain historical elements that we simply aren't familiar with. You've probably seen them already when we read through this passage. You know, we're probably scratching our heads thinking like, what? what? That's not an answer. Because of angels, what does that mean? You know, we might be thinking these things. When there's a lack of clarity, we can discuss these things, but it's hard to come to a definite conclusion. Meaning that we shouldn't cast judgment on one another for the conclusions that we do come to. We're gonna have a difference in opinion when it comes to some of these things. But we ought to do, what we ought to do is we should find what does have clarity and come to an agreement there. This is where we find our brotherhood and our sisterhood. This is where we find our unity. There might be more questions than answers, but remember, you can take these questions to God. Not in order to necessarily receive definitive and clear answers, since we don't worship answers, we worship God, okay? Keep that in mind. But you can take the opportunity to practice faith by the way in which we place our trust in God. That's how we're gonna end today, placing faith in God. Now today's passage, if I can give a bit of a summary first, I think this will be probably helpful for us. It talks about what could be husband and wife behavior 
Okay, so when you read through that passage, it could be about behavior of husbands and wives in the place of worship, which would then have certain implications for male and female behavior. Or maybe it could be the other way around. It could be just talking very generally about males and females, which could also have implications towards husbands and wives. In either instance, this behavior brings about either glory or shame, and this glory or this shame reflects upwards to those that the husband and wife or the male and female are in relationship with. So it ultimately results in either glory or shame for God. Glory and shame can travel. Glory and shame are transferable. They move from one person to another. Read with me verses 2 to 3. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. So immediately, what we read here is that Paul recognizes that the Corinthians are doing something, okay, something which either honors or dishonors some sort of traditions that he delivered to them. He's given them these traditions, and he's praising the Corinthians for carrying out these traditions. He's saying, hey, you're doing this pretty well. But he also recognizes that some in the community have raised some issues and some questions about these traditions. If this sounds really vague, it's because it is vague, okay? It's some of the stuff that's being talked about, honorable attire for prayer and prophecy. It's really hard for us to understand. Look at the way we come dressed on a Sunday morning. You know, we're very diverse in the way that we come dressed. I'm the only one here wearing a tie. You know, and that's not really a job requirement either. And so it becomes a, a really hard thing for us to understand. Paul talks to the Corinthians as well as a response to some sort of questions that they had. And the questions they had were actually a response to him for the traditions that he passed on to them. And so because they've been talking about this for a little while, Paul's talking very offhandedly about these things in this letter. It's like if I've been doing, like some of you guys have been going through premarital counseling with me, okay? The first session, usually, I'll describe what we're about to do. I'll tell you, hey, remember, we're going to meet up tomorrow for premarital counseling, just in case you forgot what we're meeting up for. But then later on, after the first few, session, few sessions, we might just say, hey, are you good for tomorrow? There's no real rhyme or reason for why we're meeting if someone were to just read that discreetly you probably have your own examples of how you shorten the things that you say to people that you know, that you're in relationship with, about the topics that you're very familiar with. Give another example, because I know it's a very limited number of people that have been going through uh, premarital counseling. Before Jonas was born, I used to have a little bit more free time, okay? Imagine that, okay? So if my friend and I wanted to play a video game together or a computer game together, we might say something early on, okay? We might say, hey, I have a bit of free time, do you want to play a game together? But then as time passes, the messages got shorter and shorter until eventually we just sent a gift to each other of a cow hitting a bell. For some reason, this was the gift that we used to say, let's play a game together. Imagine someone 2,000 years from now discovering my letters, my WhatsApp messages to my friend, saying, man, they really worship cows and bells. It doesn't make sense, right? 
It could be helpful in our case here to work backwards, okay, for us to try to reconstruct the questions that the Corinthians might have been asking Paul. Okay, so here's a possible example letter. This isn't, this isn't the Bible, okay? So this is just like our reconstructed letter. But basically, imagine this. Dear Paul, we've been keeping the traditions you passed on to us for the most part, but some questions keep coming up from our church members. Things like, are we sure that we're carrying out these traditions the right way? Men have their heads uncovered, but women don't. Is it right to keep on distinguishing between the genders like this? Paul talked to us about how we're a new creation in Christ, and there's no Jew no, nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Should we keep distinguishing like this? Besides that, there's plenty of women out and about in Corinth with their heads uncovered in public. Don't we as Christians have more freedom than them? Shouldn't we do this? Paul, help us figure this out. Some find the traditions to be old-fashioned, but others find the new way to be offensive. What's the gospel way? So this might be a kind of letter that the Corinthians are writing to Paul, and Paul's response is recorded here in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 16. What we do know is this. Paul points out the gender distinctions, that we were created in, and believes that they're worth keeping and even celebrating. There's a concern and a sensitivity towards how culture views morality and sexuality, and thus, there are culturally specific ways to guard morality and sexual purity. A modern example for us to think about, you wouldn't dress the same way that you dress here if you go to an Australian beach and you're doing missional work as you would if you were to go as a missionary to a Middle Eastern country where Sharia law exists. You wouldn't dress the same way. And finally, there's a complete integration of both genders and their gifts into the community and worship. This is really important for us to remember as well. There's a complete integration of both genders and their different gifts. Neither is left out. But remember the main purpose that we've talked about recently as well that all will be done for the glory of God, which means that nothing in worship should be done to the glory or the shame of anyone else. Whatever gender they may be, whatever culture they might come from. Now, a quick uh, diversion here to talk about heresy, okay? Some in history, this is pretty important for us to remember, even now use verse three to say that Christ is inferior to the Father God that he's not on the same level as God. Okay, it reads this, but I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. And so they might read this and say, Jesus is clearly inferior to God, and then they might also go on to use this to say, women are clearly inferior to men. And we're not doing this here, okay? Jesus, the Son of God, is not inferior to the Father, but submits willfully to the Father's will. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God. We know that God is one, and so headship here speaks about authority in terms of equality. The important thing to remember here is that Jesus is God, that he went to the cross for our sins, dying in our place, in complete obedience and submission to the head, the Father God. Okay? All right. Back to gender distinctions. So what were some of these gender distinctions that Paul was talking about? 
So at this time, men and women were supposed to be differentiated by the way that they looked. It's a pretty far cry from our culture, right? Men and women were supposed to look a little bit different, particularly their headstyles. Okay, so it was expected that men and women could be easily distinguished just by looking at what they have on their heads. Particularly in worship settings in this area, and you can see what the difference is. Women were expected to have their heads covered in public. Okay, things are a little bit different for us now. Women don't necessarily have their heads covered in public. Even in the worship place, a bunch of us wear hats, and that's okay. I'm not shaming you for that. That's okay. When it comes to long hair, that's not necessarily a differentiator either. Short hair even. Male, female, long hair, short hair, it all seems okay, okay in the modern day. It's a little bit different from back then. But back then, women were expected to have their heads covered in public, and the reason for this is that the head covering was symbolic of the woman's modesty and sexual purity. A modern equivalent might be the hijab in the Middle East or in Middle Eastern cultures. So when you look at that culture, it represents something. It represents modesty and sexual purity. But what are your thoughts about this? When I talk about these things, what are your thoughts? For some of us, we might try to understand the culture that's being represented by this type of head covering. We might look at this and say, great, I don't understand it, but hey, more power to you. Others might see it as a sign of power imbalance or inequality. It might be true. 1 Corinthians 11, 4 to 6 reads this, Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. Excuse me. Whatever the case, it's important for us to take our modern minds out of where we're at right now, this modernity that we're in, and place them firmly back in the time period that this was written in, 2,000 years ago. We remember that this was written as Corinthian culture was beginning to seep into the church. The church in Corinth is here. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, they're all mixed in, and the Corinthian culture keeps coming in. It keeps influencing the way that people are acting. This culture was one of sexual immorality and idolatry. And we see this seeping in. And so people are a little bit wary of what's going on. Head coverings being abandoned would have seemed like joining hands with the surrounding culture. Those that are older amongst our congregation, you might remember when drums were outlawed in the culture. New Life might do well. We only have one drummer, and so maybe it's okay. Okay, but... You know, at this time, it would have been seen as adopting the culture of increased sexuality, of being provocative in dress, whether that's right or wrong. Now, what's the big deal, you might wonder? It's just a head covering. Who cares? Let the hair flow free, okay? We might be thinking this. It's not like they're showing off anything that would really stumble anyone. Like, do you look at each other's hair and think, You know, this is the one I'm going to marry. We don't normally do this anymore. This is not where we're at anymore. But at this time, women's hair was seen as a big part of their sexuality. 
There's evidence even to point, this is a bit weird, okay, that some saw it as part of the reproductive system, as part of the genitalia. It's a bit weird, right? For a woman to have exposed hair around men other than her husband would be scandalous. It'd be seen as an invitation towards sexual immorality by some in this culture. Now, this isn't necessarily the message that she might be intending to send. Okay, there's intent, there's consent, there's all sorts of things that we know in the modern day. And yet the prevailing culture still has a say in what's being received. We can't ignore that. Obviously, things are a bit different now when it comes to our culture here in hair. Okay, whatever you might feel about this, consider it in more modern terms then. You might be okay with what everyone here is wearing today. I don't think anyone is out of the ordinary when it comes to the way that we're dressed here at church today. But what if it matched the culture around us? You know, school holidays has just come and gone. You might have been out at a shopping center. The amount of skin on display in our culture is a little bit alarming sometimes. It's pretty out there. It's quite often something that's tied up with sex and sexuality that's being put on display for what reason? Would that be okay here? Would you be okay with it? Would it be a bit much? Would you worry that it might stumble someone? Those of you who are parents, would you be thinking like, oh, I don't really want that around my kids? Would it stumble you? Beyond these types of interactions, Paul strikes a cultural balance though. Look again at those verses on screen because Paul's saying that it's in the place of prayer and prophecy that this type of head covering is required. He's not making a comment, it seems, on requiring a head covering if they're just showing up and in the public meeting, if you're just part of the congregation, if you're not standing in front of everyone and praying for everyone, if you're not prophesying for everyone, preaching before everyone, it seems like he's saying, if you're not drawing attention to yourself, it's fine. There's a particular time, a concern for the place of worship and how it communicates something, how it affects others in the community. And this is what we get from what Paul's saying. And the point of all of this, the point isn't even the sexuality. It's not even a comment on the culture, okay? These are important, but ultimately, the point is the glory of God. Verses seven to eight, a man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God so too woman is the glory of man. These are high terms. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Whether talking about women or men, this is talking about the creation, okay? Whether talking about women or men and the appropriate dress code, and as he talks about gender distinctions from creation onwards, Paul's point is that nothing that takes place in worship should take the attention away from God's glory. Nothing about the way that someone's dressed should take away from God's glory. We might be full of questions at this point, but just as we read in this passage, I don't want for this sermon or this message to itself take away from looking to God's glory. Okay, we can discuss this. You can discuss this with, I, I won't throw your life group leaders under the bus here, but like, you can discuss this with me. Um, the main thing here is about the glory of God. It's about what Jesus did upon the cross. 
Nothing we do ought to detract from this. Nothing that we do in the modern day should take us away from this. The cross of Jesus Christ, whether it's in what we wear or don't wear, whether it's in what we eat or drink, or how our culture interacts with our theology or anything else, nothing should take us away from Jesus Christ. Our worship is not based on personal preference. Often we make it into this in the modern church, but it shouldn't be about this. But just as we read in the previous chapters, when we saw the Corinthians wrestling with their individual and cultural views on sexuality, on food and drink, or on whatever freedoms and rights they wanted to enjoy, we place ourselves in their shoes as well, because these are the same things that we struggle with today. Our worship is in the context of community. It's not an individual thing that we come together to individually express, but we come together to express a communal worship together. It's for the benefit of community that we think about our actions and make our decisions about what we do. Let me pray for us. Father, whatever questions well up in our hearts, whatever we have in our minds, we know, Lord, that you're undaunted by these things. You're a great God. You're a God who has all the answers, but even more than that, you're a God who invites us to follow you. When your son Jesus came to this earth and when he called his disciples, he didn't answer all of their questions for them, but he said, follow me. And it's by faith that they laid down whatever it is that was going on in their lives, whether it's in their occupations, whether it's in their livelihoods, whether it's in their questions, they were able to lay it all down by your grace. And that's the kind of grace that we ask for today. Not necessarily just to answer our questions, even though we'd like very much for them to be answered. But we desperately desire your grace to be able to follow you. We don't necessarily say that we want to be blind in our faith. We don't necessarily say that we want to blindly follow a man or a church. But we want to say that whatever is unseen, we want for our faith to increase as it tells us in Hebrews. And we want it to be in you. Our Father, we know that you are love. We know that you never have anything bad in mind for us. But you only do what's to your glory and what's for our good. Even if we don't understand it here on this earth, even if it might not look that way, even if it disagrees with the surrounding culture, or even our own upbringing. We want to place our trust in you, so help us to do this, God. Guide us today, God. Make this our prayer, God, for all of us individually here. Make this our prayer that we might unite together as a community, that we might place fullness of trust in you, that we might grow in our love for you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.